Good morning, church. It's been a while since I have sang. Um, So let's see if I can bless you this morning um, with this song. failed me all my days I've been held by your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God cause all my you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice you have led me through the fire in darkest nights. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. breath that 
scripture reading comes to us from Genesis chapter 3. In verse 15. Genesis 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Good morning, everyone. As you know, I don't generally use PowerPoint, but for this sermon, I find it to be a blessing um, for you to be able to see some of the things. Um, My time is very short, so I'm going to do the best that I can. To get through this in a timely manner. When we switch the not mirroring, is that our issue? Okay. If I if I don't have the PowerPoint, it's okay. Sometimes it just helps to be able to see things. There it is. You can close that. I don't have it. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's usually in the upper right, upper left somewhere. on a duplicate screen somewhere. But they don't have that anymore. Yeah, so you just got to put it back on the presentation. Okay. There it is. Perfect. Okay. All right. I will try to get through this in a timely fashion. Um, so anyway, we're uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right into the sermon. Kind Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for this day. We want to thank you so much again for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for this Christmas season. And as we remember the birth of Jesus, and as we are trying to identify the Messiah today, I just pray that your spirit would please guide us this morning, uh, come into our hearts and minds, and Lord, just draw us closer to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so it is the Christmas season. We are coming into that season, and I know there's varying opinions about celebrating Christmas, not celebrating Christmas. I, for one, take it as an opportunity. People are thinking about Jesus uh, sometimes two times a year, Christmas and Easter, so I take the opportunity to point them to Jesus as the Messiah during this time of year. Um, but today we are going to go through a little, uh, some scriptures today to identify the Messiah. You know, the Bible, um, how do I want to say this? Um, do we, is Jesus the Messiah? I'll put it that way. Is he the Messiah? How do we know he's the Messiah? You know, is it, do we believe he's the Messiah just because our family told us that or we grew up hearing that in Sabbath school? Um, why do we believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, God gave us, didn't leave us alone. You know, Adam and Eve, they fell in the Garden of Eden, and God gave a promise of a Messiah in our scripture reading in that text. So let's go ahead and start moving through the scriptures um, and see if we can identify who the Messiah is. Here's our scripture reading that we read. It's the very first text that I'll use. This is at what point in human history? Where, the, where is this text occurring? Right after the fall, right? Right after the fall, that's what I'm looking for. Obviously, that's in Genesis. Thank you for whoever said that. Um, it's Genesis 3.15. Um, but this is right after the fall, and God immediately comes to the side of Adam and Eve, and he says, you know, he, sa- he gives them this promise. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. This is the first, and it seems obscure. It's like, well, how do we get the promise of a redeemer? But essentially, God is coming to the side of Adam and Eve and say, yes, you made a mistake. Yes, now you are, have a sinful nature, but you're not going to be bound by this power of Satan and sin forever. He's coming down to their side and he is speaking to them and giving this promise of a Messiah. So we have a promise. That's all we have thus far in the Bible story. Let's continue on. Then we come to the time of Abraham. We come to Genesis chapter 12. And, and, and God gives Abraham a promise. Genesis 12, 2, he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you, and through you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, why are they going to be blessed? Genesis 15, 5, he brought him outside. He, he reiterates this promise. You're going to have descendants as the, as the stars of the heavens, as the sand of the seashore. Um, he says, so if you can number the stars to count them, so shall your seed, your descendants be. Now, this word, descendants, is actually singular. It's a singular word. It's a singular noun, masculine noun, second person masculine noun. So it's actually a singular word. And he's speaking, he's using that same word that we saw in Genesis chapter 1, your seed. It is a, it is a singular noun. It's speaking about someone in particular. And the thing that I love about the Bible, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible actually helps us understand. Paul, the Bible interprets itself, amen? Let's look at this, Galatians 3.16. We just read the promise to Abraham. 
Galatians 3.16, Paul says this, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He did not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So Paul doesn't make any bones about it. He tells us right away this promised seed that was to come through Abraham, through the lineage of Abraham, he calls it, he says it's Jesus. It's fulfilled in Jesus. So it's a little bit of a spoiler, but I just didn't want you to think that I was off my rocker when I was talking about the seed aspect, okay? Let's continue down. So we've come to the time of Abraham. So we know that the promised Messiah is going to come through the lineage of Abraham. But now remember, Abraham had how many children? Does anybody remember? Yeah, I'm seeing two. That's the common thought. But you remember after Sarah died, he married Keturah, and the Bible says he had sons and daughters. So we don't actually know how many, we don't actually know how many children he had. But we know about Ishmael and Isaac. And so how do we know which one of those children? Well, the Bible tells us because God said um, to, to of Isaac, to Abraham in Genesis 17, 19, then God said, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. I know I'm cruising quickly. It's because I have very short time. So we're just following the promise through the Bible of this Messiah. How do we know that Jesus actually is the Messiah? So it will come through Isaac, but Isaac had how many sons? Say it again, Claire. Yes, he had two. So he had, uh, you know, he had Jacob and Esau. So how do we know? Well, let's continue on. Let's skip over. We're going to fast forward a little bit in Genesis to Genesis chapter 49. And the Bible tells us because we, don't, it's, we have Jacob and Esau. Jacob, it's going to come through. Uh, at this point, I, miss, I must have missed the text. It's coming through the lineage of Jacob. Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. So how do we know which one of his sons is going to come through? The Bible tells us in Genesis 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of all the nations, the obedience of nations shall be his. So Judah, why do I have a lion up there? Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? I love the picture of this lion. He has such a steady gaze in his eyes. Um, it's not, it doesn't look that... Yeah, you can see it there pretty good. Um, anyway, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seals. Who is the one who prevailed over sin? Who is the one who prevailed and conquered the grave? We know that to be Jesus, but there's far more than just these handful of texts. Let's continue on. I'm going way too fast. This sermon is usually about 45 minutes. I'm trying to do it in 15 or 20. Genesis 38. Has anybody ever wondered about Genesis 38? Okay, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, it's like Genesis 37 is all about the story of Joseph, right? Joseph is one of Jacob's sons. So Genesis 37 ends with, and Joseph was sold into slavery and he went into Egypt. And that's the end of Genesis 37. 
And then Genesis 38, there's this random story about Judah and Tamar. And so it's, I always wondered, like, and then Genesis 39 picks up with, with Joseph again. And I always wondered, why is that story just interjected in the middle of nowhere? Well, you see, the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about pointing us to Jesus, to the Messiah, so that there would be no mistake of, of us making a mistake of who the Messiah actually is. And so the story of Genesis 38, the story of Judah and Tamar, Judah, Jesus is coming through the lineage of Judah, and Tamar had a son named Perez. And that, through, that is the lineage of the Messiah. That's the only reason I can find that that story is in the Bible, because it is trying to show us the lineage of the Messiah. The Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about pointing us to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Let's continue on. It was this union through whom the Messiah would come. Everything in the Bible points us to Jesus. Why is the story of Ruth in the Bible? Ruth is a, she's a foreign woman. She marries Boaz. Boaz has a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. That's the only reason I could... That's why the story of Ruth is in the Bible. It's pointing us to the Messiah. The Bible writers, God is trying to help us see and understand the lineage of the Messiah. Ancestry meant everything to the Jews. Why do you think there's so many genealogies in the Bible? It's trying to show us the Messiah. That's why they kept meticulous track. Here we come to the time of Moses, Deuteronomy 18.15. He, he has this, The Lord is going to raise up a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Moses was living some 2,000 years after the original first prophecy of a Messiah is given. He's, he believes that there's still a Messiah coming. So 2,000 years had gone by, 2,500 years had gone by, and he's still believing that God is going to send a Messiah. 2,500 years later, Isaiah gives us more insight. All along the way, we're getting this fuller, clearer picture of the Messiah, where he's going to come from, the lineage that he will come from. Now, this sign right here is impossible to replicate or miss. This sign all by itself should be enough for humanity to know that a virgin girl just gave birth to a son. There's something very important about this person because he's not like the rest of us, right? This sign all by itself, I feel like, well, if that's all we had, that should be enough. Anyway, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a pretty, pretty blatant sign, pretty miraculous sign. <clears throat> so the Messiah, he's going to come through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would come through the line of Judah. He would be born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us that he's going to be born in a specific place. Micah's prophesying in the year 750 B.C. to about 700 B.C., somewhere around that time. So here he is prophesying, and he says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me 
the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. I'm sure when Micah was prophesying this, people were eager. They thought the Messiah was coming soon. And then a hundred years, 200 years goes by, and it's all forgotten. Can you imagine? It was 4,000 years from the first time this Messiah was prophesied until he actually came. There was lots of people who came, lived, and died, millions of them, believing that a Messiah would come. They just didn't know when. Daniel 9 gives us the exact time frame when the Messiah would come. So Daniel's prophesying in you know, 605 B.C. to uh, you know, roughly 5, we'll say 540, somewhere in that ballpark. And he gives us the exact time frame. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build, rebuild Jerusalem till Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. We look at these as prophetic weeks. So the 69 weeks, it, it begins and the, from the restore and rebuild, the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem happened in 457 B.C. So we have 483 years. If we count forward, we come to 27 A.D., and that's the exact time that Jesus was anointed. The end of the 69 weeks falls on 27 A.D. That is the year that we believe Jesus was anointed, and he began his ministry based on the kings and based on the time frame. All right, so I've been covering lots quickly few more prophecies right on time and Daniel's prophecy we find the anointing of Jesus that was a very specific sign specific time frame um, for him to come uh, we have there's a multitude I mean theologians estimate that there's you know a, well over 200 some say 300 prophecies of the Messiah in scripture and the reason that they're all there it's like a fingerprint that no other person could magically claim to be the Messiah. They have to fit all of these, these, uh, this outline of who the Messiah would be. He was born in Bethlehem on a last-minute journey to Bethlehem. I mean, no human being could conjure that up or try to live that out in their life. But God knew. God's, God's guiding hand was in all of this. I'm sorry that I'm having to go so quickly. Jesus fulfilled 29 prophecies in the last 24 hours of his life. The likelihood of that, when we get into, if we start thinking of statistical probability, it's actually, the numbers are astronomical. It's actually unfathomable in a way um, for Jesus to fulfill um, just a few of these. But I'm going to share with you as quickly as I can. Um, there's an estimated 300 prophecies and the numbers figuring out the statistical probability of one human being fulfilling all of those prophecies in the Bible. Is, it's it's mind-blowing. But let's look at just eight. Let's consider just eight of the prophecies about the Messiah. So the probability of him fulfilling just eight in his life is something to the tune of 2.8 times 10 to the 17th power. So that is 2.8 with 17 zeros behind it. That's his chances. One in that number, 2.8 times 10 to the 17th power, 
that's your chances of fulfilling just eight in his life. However, Jesus, as I said, he fulfilled 29 prophecies just in the last 24 hours of his life. So just for you to get some sort of grip on just eight, right? If you were to take a landmass the size of the state of Texas and you were to fill it knee-deep with coins the size of a silver dollar, and you were to put an X on one of those coins and blindfold someone and send them out into that landmass, that is the same probability of them finding it on the very first time. That is the same probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies in his life. So you could turn somebody loose in El Paso. You could, you could hide the coin in Houston and turn them loose in El Paso, and the probability of them finding it on the very first time is the same as Jesus fulfilling just eight. But Jesus fulfilled, theologians, as I'm saying, it's well over a couple hundred prophecies of the Messiah. That is humanly impossible. God wanted us to have an accurate fingerprint of who the Messiah would be, the lineage he would come from, where he would be born, when he would be born. God did not want humanity to be ignorant of who the Messiah would be. Uh, David Greenglass, I'll go through this quickly. Um, he was a, a World War II traitor. He gave uh, secrets to the Russians. And so his traitors, his, the people he was working with, um, he fled to Mexico. And he was to go to uh, Mexico City. And you can read the notes here. He was, there were six prearranged signs so that there would be no mistake of who David Greenglass was with his people that he was working with from Russia because they were going to give him asylum. And so he was to write a note to the secretary signing his name as I. Jackson once he was in Mexico City. After three days, he was to go to the Plaza de Colón in Mexico City, stand before the Statue of Columbus with his middle finger in a guidebook and when he was approached, he was to say it was a magnificent statue and that he was from Oklahoma. The secretary was then supposed to give him a passport. So these six prearranged signs worked. Why did they work? Because it was impossible for anyone else to have just randomly fulfilled those things the way that they were prearranged to be. It's impossible for anyone else to be the Savior of the world, to be the Messiah, because only Jesus Christ fits the criteria. There's no one else that lived exactly in that time frame as he did and fulfilled all the signs that he did. <clears throat> Jesus is the Messiah. And I'm so sorry that I had to go so fast because I just feel like there was a lot missed. <clears throat> the coming of the Messiah was as certain in the Garden of Eden as it was in the time of Abraham, as it was in the time of David when Gabriel came to Mary, because time does not affect the fulfillment of the Word of God. There is no doubt in my mind that faithful people throughout that 4,000-year time frame at some point in their experience may have grown weary of thinking ahead or saying, oh, he's still coming. We're still looking forward to him. I'm sure they were growing weary of hearing about a deliverer as they watched their grandfather and great grand, grand, their grand, great grandfather and their grandfather and them just die preaching that a Messiah would come. I've heard many Adventists 
in my, my 12 years as an Adventist, say, boy, I've been, I've been listening to the second coming stuff my whole life. And we've only been preaching, you know, this, our message. We've been preaching the Bible, the concept of the second coming of Jesus. But the three angels' message and that very specific message of a soon coming Savior, the judgment hour beginning, we've only been preaching 160 years now. It pales in comparison to 4,000, right? Time has no bearing on the Word of God. Time has no bearing on whether I die preaching that Jesus is coming soon. It doesn't make it invalid. Jesus is coming soon. And no matter, no matter, (laughs) it does not matter whether I die preaching the message or not. Untold millions of people died believing that a Messiah was going to come. Did the Messiah come? Yes. And this same Messiah told us, he says, I am, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back to you again. That same Messiah, he's coming again soon. <clears throat> I'm sure it was easy to doubt in that time period. <clears throat> there is no doubt Again, I'm sorry that I had to go so fast. There is no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. But is he your Messiah today? Have you received him as your own personal Savior? Have you accepted him as your personal Messiah? It's one thing to know, oh yeah, Jesus fits all the criteria. But is he the Lord of your life today? As we reflect on this in this Christmas season, there's no doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. But I pray that you would search your own heart and, and, and ask Him to come in. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life. I love Jesus. He's transformed my life. He wants to change yours. My desire now is to do His will, whereas before I had no desire to do anything that God wanted me to do. But when you give your life to the Lord, He... He makes it better in every way. It's so much better. You can see in our world today, we see this often where everyone wants a Savior, but nobody wants a Lord. With Jesus as the Lord of your life, He only makes everything better. You don't need to worry about where this, this where Jesus will take you in life. I promise you it will only be better than what you're experiencing now. As we think about Jesus in this Christmas season, as we celebrate with family and friends, I would, encourage him to, I would encourage each one of you today to invite him into your life, not just now, but each and every day following. <clears throat> That's my admonishment for you today. I did, I, uh, my prayer for us as we consider Jesus in this Christmas season, as you consider the text that we've read Um, The long-awaited Messiah came to be there to experience that in that little time period must have been the most magnificent, I mean, just that little 33-and-a-half-year time period over the course of 4,000 years. And we, of course, are looking forward to the climax of human history in which Jesus will come and take us to be with him once more. Please pray with me as we invite the Lord into our hearts today. Kind Father in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful that your word is sure, that it was just as sure in the Garden of Eden that a deliverer would come, as it was just as sure in the time of Abraham, and just as sure in the time of Moses and David. And Lord, thank you so much for 
laying out a perfect fingerprint that only the Messiah could, could follow, that only a divine hand could have seen and orchestrated and said and told, thank you so much for preserving your word for us and not leaving us as orphans. Thank you for desiring to be our Savior. Thank you for being our Creator. Thank you for being our Redeemer. We love you, Lord, and I just pray that you would fill each heart today, that you would draw close to us, and that, Lord, as we consider your birth, Lord, we just we pray that, um, Lord, that you would just direct our thoughts heavenward. Help us to be like you. Help us to reflect you more fully. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.